from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, you want the truth about the gospel? The truth about the gospel is that Jesus is, he's really a person. He really lived. He's really the son of God. He really died on a Roman cross. He really rose again and he really ascended to heaven. He really sent forth the Holy Spirit and Jesus is really coming back again. There are a lot of opinions about Jesus out there, about who he is, what he did, and even if it really matters. So with all those different voices, how do you know what's true? How do you know what to believe? Well, today, Pastor Daniel sets out to help you separate the truth from the lies about Jesus and the gospel. He shares that all the eyewitness testimonies, historical accounts, and personal experiences underscore the truth that Jesus is real. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Gift of the Gospel. They invented rules for parents and sports for people like me because my dad and my grandparents and everyone like, they didn't have those rules back in the day, but they do now because I'm like my dad and my grandparents, you know? Because there's a lot, you know, I'm from New Jersey, so it's like nothing's quiet, you know? And so I'm like, I'm going to go give the coach a talking to and be like, listen, man, you guys are really good. But now it's like, it's not respectful. It's like, actually, you need to teach your boys that there's something more than just blowing a team out. It's about being compassionate and kind. And it's only fifth grade spring league. It's like no one's getting a paycheck for this. And I'm like, that probably wouldn't be good. And then I, I thought to myself, you know, maybe you should just start screaming and yelling during the game. Now, you'd be surprised. I don't do a lot of yelling at the games because I know if I start, I won't stop. So it's like I just keep quiet, and I'm holding Annabelle there. I'm trying to hold her down. Actually, I'm holding her there as like a blankie, like a security blanket, you know? So, And I'm having this inner struggle. I was really frustrated and probably to the point of internal anger. And then after the game, you know, I get in the car, and Obadiah's like, man, we got blown out. That's what he says. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you did. And he's like, you know... And you got to love this. He's like, you know, Dad, when they were blowing us out, I really just wanted to give them a hard foul. (laughs) The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, unfortunately. (laughs) But then know what he said? He said, but you know, I thought about it, and then I thought Jesus would want me to be a little different than that. And I thought to myself, praise God. Yeah, man. And I always ask God to make me live my messages. You know, and so when he says that, I'm just like, thank you that I didn't open my mouth. You know what I mean? Because it's like, I see my son and he's like, you know, and even though we got blown out, it was a lot of fun. Like we had fun. And I was just so grateful for that legacy. And a lot of it's Lynn, not necessarily me, but I was, at least I was smart enough to know like, maybe that's not the right way to handle this right now. You know, taking some kid's legs out for doing a layup, you know? But I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, he's right. The way that I was raised, I mean, it, it makes sense and, you know, you can justify it in different ways if you wanted to, but really, Jesus does have something more for us than that. And I even said to him, like, well, what about the other team? He's like, well, they shouldn't have done it that way either. It's not kind or loving or respectful. And I'm like, yeah. Like, it's like, Obadiah's a deep kid, you know, I love this guy. But I want to leave a godly legacy with my family. 
And I think you want to leave a godly legacy, not only of proclamation of the word, but also of demonstration, the way that we live. You know, I think about that, just coming back from Mexico, a place that we've been serving as a church family for two decades. And I mean, it's amazing to see the legacy of our church family in that area. Like I'm at the church in Kino and Pastor Roberto is showing me the kitchen and he's showing me cabinets that were, was built and driven down by one of our own. They're like my, the favorite cabinets I've ever seen. They've been in there for 25 years or so, 20 years. And they're like, yeah, Mr. Dan put these here for us, built them in his garage, you know? And it's like, that's a godly legacy. Those aren't just cabinets. Not like I bought them at Home Depot. It's like somebody took their time to serve Jesus and bless them. And you got to ask yourself, are you building a godly legacy today? The way that you live your life every single day, is it taking steps that leave a legacy? Just like Peter, he's like, look, I don't want to be negligent. See, he realizes that if he doesn't write this letter, then he's being negligent in the legacy that God wants him to lead. And I think that's the idea. The reason we don't leave a godly legacy is because we get negligent, where we neglect the most important things in favor of the temporary and urgent things. But Peter's saying, I wanted to make sure, and he did write this letter. Peter left that legacy that we're studying it now thousands of years later. But part of what he's also getting at is he realizes his life is over. Now, Peter had lived a good, long life, and he had served the Lord for a long, long time. But he knows he's in the the back nine of his career, so to speak. He's at the end of it. He's making sure now that he leaves a good reminder. Thus, he writes these letters. And he says this thing beautifully in verse 13. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. This idea of the way he's viewing death. He's not viewing death as This is the end of it. He's viewing it as, I am leaving this temporary dwelling. I mean, the idea of a tent. Certain people want to live in tents forever, but don't you just live in a tent for a season? Like, I go to a national park, I'm going to live in a tent. And Peter's got the right perspective on life. Because our time here is we are in a tent. We are pilgrims through this life. We think because it's all that we know that this is all that there is, but there's way more going on. And when we start to have that light of eternity in the present moment, we begin to start to live differently. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Listen to what he says. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, We shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. See what Paul is saying there, as he's saying, this side of eternity, when we're in this tent... There's a groaning because we don't just want to be unclothed. We want to be further clothed. He realized that the best is yet to come. See, on this side of eternity, they're living into their eternal destiny, their eternal abode. And we need to grab hold of that. 
When we start to realize that your lot, this side of heaven isn't all that there is. This is just a vacation portion of your life. And we want to live with eternity in mind, with the ethics of eternity, with the ethics of God's kingdom in mind. And when we do that, we start to be more self-sacrificial and more loving and more generous. And we begin to not keep records of wrongs. And we begin to let people who've hurt us We forgive them because we're like, look, I don't want to carry that with me because that unforgiveness is hindering me from living into eternity right now. But unless you are intentional about leaving a godly legacy, what I have found is that this world will distract us enough. We'll leave a legacy, but it won't be a godly one. So brothers and sisters, let's get intentional about leaving a godly legacy. Peter was, I'm not going to be negligent. I wanted to be careful to make sure this is the case. Yes, I think it's right, he says. He's very focused on making sure that there's a legacy that's left. Now, what's beautiful is, is Peter's now going to begin to talk to us about the word of God, right? He's in the process of writing it, but you always have to remember that the word of God equals, has two parts to it. The living word, which is Jesus himself, and then the written word, which is the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We know that Jesus is the living word because of John chapter one, right? In the beginning was the word And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And that life is the light of men. That light shined in the darkness. You guys know that the first couple verses of the book of John, chapter one. Right? And then, of course, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So Jesus is the incarnate word, the word with flesh on, the living word. And then you have the Bible from Genesis, the written word. And in, from verses 16 to 21, Peter talks about both sides. First, he talks about Jesus as the living word, the incarnate word. And then he talks about the Bible as the written word. And for both of us, we get the truth of the gospel. Because look at what it says in verse 16 of 2 Peter 1. It says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now you want to know about the, who Jesus really is. What you need to realize is that there were eyewitnesses. There were eyewitnesses. This is why I believe that the Bible is the only true authority on who Jesus is. Because some scholar Ivy League educated in 21st century America cannot tell you who Jesus really was because guess what? He didn't walk with them. You can't read all these, well, there's this criticism and this criticism and there's these guys who say this verse. Listen, there was eyewitness testimony. Peter's like, hey, guess what? We did not follow cunningly devised fables. When I was in college, you know what they told me about Jesus? He's a myth. What's amazing is now you got a guy who was walking with him said, we did not follow any myths. And listen, you all know eyewitness testimony in a court of law in 21st century still trumps expert testimony, doesn't it? It's one thing for someone with a PhD to look at the evidence and say this, this, and this. If five different people tell you the same kind of story, although some of their details are different, right, you're going to believe the eyewitness account. And guess what? The Bible is full of eyewitness testimony to who Jesus was. And that means something. I know what's funny is nobody taught, like, it was like I took an apologetics class and I learned this. I remember sitting in a religions of the Western world class my first semester in college. 
I did not believe in Jesus. And this professor went, worked so hard to make sure nobody believed in Jesus. I'm like, God, this guy really doesn't want anyone to believe in Jesus. I'm like, there must be something cool about this guy, Jesus. Because honestly, like, I was of the belief, if there are people, of, let's say music, you guys know I love music, right? If a whole bunch of people absolutely love this band and a whole bunch of people absolutely hate this band, then it's probably a good band because they're unique, right? It's like Bob Dylan. I say Bob Dylan. Some of you like, oh, Bobby D. And some of you like, oh, I why does that know I like Bob Dylan? You know? But he's classic. I mean, it's Bobby D, you know? But when there's people who are strong on both sides, you know that there's something there because it's unique. Not to say that it's good, but this guy's trying so hard to make sure that nobody believed in Jesus. I'm like, Jesus is the man. Something's going on with this guy. And what's beautiful is what I realized is that all this stuff I heard about Jesus, there were eyewitnesses and they all tell the same story. Now, again, if you know, you get eyewitness testimony in a court of law, someone's going to notice that it was a hazy, hot, and humid day. And someone's going to notice that the person had blue shoelaces like Pastor G does. You know, if you guys know Pastor G's shoelaces always change. It's so classic. You know, it's like people notice different things, but if the big things are the same, you expect variation in the eyewitness account. Why? Because people are different. They notice different things. Someone says, well, I don't understand why. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This one says that it was this. Because they're different people. They notice some different things, but the whole, all the big stuff is all exactly the same. Someone's like, well, it says the rooster crows twice. The rooster crowed one time. It doesn't matter exactly how many times the rooster crowed. Either way, the rooster crowed. But we get into this stuff because really what it is is we really don't want to believe. But Peter's like, look, I was an eyewitness. And you know what he says? And this is really powerful. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we are with him on the holy mountain. Now, this refers to the Mount of Transfiguration. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. What's interesting is it also is in Mark's gospel, Mark 9, and in Luke's gospel, Luke 9. The three synoptic gospels, they call those three synoptic because they tell more of the story of Jesus. John's gospel is of a whole different kind of character and sort, so it's not considered a synoptic gospel. Because John's got some different things, a different point he's trying to get at. But each one of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell this story of when Peter, James, and John went up onto this mountain. And Jesus, his essential glory that is within him, turned outward for a moment. And they saw it. And they heard this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, you want the truth about the gospel? The truth about the gospel is that Jesus is real. He's really a person. He really lived. He's really the son of God. He really died on a Roman cross. He really rose again. And he really ascended to heaven. He really sent forth the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is really coming back again. Now, someone at this point is bound to say, and I'm sure there's someone here, because like... Again, I didn't always believe this, so I had all the arguments going for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, listen, you know, people just got together. They wanted to start a religion, you know what I mean? So they sit down, they firmed up their stories, and then they rolled the sand. Listen, if you read church history, there's no bigger, more absurd position than holding that one. 
Because this was not a popular position. You have to remember that long before Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, 300 years, there was severe persecution. Like nobody got brownie points for starting the Christian religion. They all got killed. That's what happened. If you don't believe me, read the history of the Roman Empire. In that time, for the, the first three centuries of what we call the common era or the AD era, the church was under severe persecution, first by the Jewish people and then by the Romans. The Jewish people for the first 20 or 30 years and then the rest of the time the Roman Empire systematically sought to exterminate Christianity. Why? Because the statement that Jesus is Lord actually means that Caesar is not. It would be like if someone rose up today and said, Fusco is president. Now, I don't want that gig. I'm having a hard enough time with you all. But I love it. I love every second of it. But it's like, I'm trying to, anyway. It's just an example. But imagine if that goes on and it gets so popular and so built up in that generation. I mean, maybe they'll just they'll say, he's crazy. And, you know, the news agency will come and say, he's crazy. They think he's president. He's not president at all. No one elected him. Bah, 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 bah. They go through the whole thing. But in that day... The Roman Empire didn't play with that stuff. If someone said, so-and-so is Lord, they got killed. And that's exactly why Jesus got crucified in the first place. But they figured after Jesus is gone, this is over. But it wasn't over. And so the Roman Empire sought to squash Christianity. For 300 years this went on. Peter and James and John, all the apostles, they got brutally murdered. And not one of them changed their story. And if this wasn't real... At some point, someone would be like, listen, we just made it up. We had too many cocktails. We decided to come up with a story. We're going to start a religion. I want my name all over the place. No, it wasn't like some hoax. It's real. And if you ever doubt that Jesus is real, you just go back to the eyewitness testimony. And the eyewitness testimony reminds us of who the Lord is. And they said, listen, that voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Wow. God speaking in such a way that these three men could understand. This is my son. I'm well pleased in him. And brothers and sisters, this is why we believe in Jesus. Because when you are in Christ, because the Father is well pleased with Jesus, then he is well pleased with you because Jesus has placed his seal upon you. You want the gospel? You want the good news? The good news is that although I am incredibly broken, when God sees me, he sees Jesus because Jesus has redeemed me. And the same is true for you. See, that's why we talk here all the time about simply responding to Jesus. All the time, I, I, you know, we do so much work in our community, in our world. And people are like, well, I don't understand why you're always, you know, you're always talking about, you're doing duffel bags, you're doing this, you got mission trips, and this and this, and it's all works righteousness. No, our righteousness is a gift from Jesus. But because we've received this gift, to whom much is given, much is required. See, our service, self-sacrificial in our community and our world is a response to so great a salvation. Because God has done this for me, how can I help other people? Because Jesus came on a rescue mission for me, then how can I now pay it forward, so to speak, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world? 
I don't do it so that God is well pleased with me. God's well pleased with me because of Jesus. And if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is well pleased in you because Christ is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's pleasure with you is because of Jesus in you. And when Jesus is in you, the unique gifts and talents that he has given you all of a sudden is now at service to the king in the midst of his kingdom, an alternative way to live in this world. And this has been eyewitnessed. That's powerful. Eyewitness testimony always trumps so-called expert testimony in a court of law. And it should also with the way we view Jesus. But not only is there Jesus, and this is Jesus, the incarnate word, the living word. But then in verse 19, notice we move to the written word. It says this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know what this teaches us, my friends? This teaches us that the Bible is perfect. That's what this teaches us. This last section shows us that the Bible is perfect. Notice what it says. Because it explains to us how we received this book. It says first, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. So what Peter is saying is because of what we saw in the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, the Messiah, his essential glory turned outward for that moment. And that voice came. All the words of the prophets have now been confirmed, which You do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, because the Bible is real, because of who Jesus is, we have to realize that there is an illumination that God wants to take place when we read his word. That just the way the light shines in the darkness, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, the idea is is that when you open up the Bible, you can read the words on the page, but you need to say, Lord, will you illuminate my heart by your spirit? Many people read the Bible as if you read the newspaper. Reading the newspaper is not transformational, it's informational. But God wants it to be transformational. And you need to say, Lord, will you illuminate this text into my heart? Lord, will you take this word and shine a light into the deep recesses of who I am? And the Bible is perfect because God wants to illuminate his word into your heart. But it's not only about illumination. Verse 20 tells us it's about revelation. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Now that word interpretation could also be translated of any private origin. The idea is that The word of God came because God revealed these truths to these people. That word revelation, I've always told you, the word comes from opening up a present to see what's inside. We see in the scriptures that the people who wrote these things didn't even understand them until Jesus finished his work and the spirit came forth. Now all of a sudden they go, oh, look at this. Look at what this all means. Jesus is You don't go walking outside at night without a flashlight. You need something to light your way so you don't stumble. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that the words written in the Bible aren't just informational. They illuminate your life. They're meant to show you the way 
to change how you think and how you live. And that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit and the revelation he brings. So invite God to reveal what he wants you to see in his word today. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy and the hard reality is if it isn't messy for you now, it will be and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Come back next time when Pastor Daniel continues this series focused on separating the truth of God from the lies that we believe. He'll zero in on what lies are and how they trap you. You'll discover that they're not something that just happens to you. Pastor Daniel shares that you're an active participant because you choose to believe them, not questioning if they're true or not. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.